0: material
1: witness out of the activated battery uh, with a handgun of now Chief Justice, may it please court,
0: This case concerns itself with the conviction of a defendant of Thank you, gentlemen. The case is submitted. We'll hear arguments next in uh, Batson against Kentucky Welcome to another episode of Bears, the Bar and Beyond, the Baylor Pre Law Podcast. This week, uh, we have a special guest. We have Professor Alfred McKenzie, who went to Baylor University for his undergraduate studies as well as for law school, and then went to the University of Glasgow where he got his Masters of Laws. Professor McKenzie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here, Ben. Tell us a little bit about what drew you to Baylor initially, and then I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your thought process as you started thinking about law school and a career in the law
1: well i was in high school in houston and was attracted to baylor um, largely because of its uh, you know reputation as a christian university and came to baylor not really sure what i wanted to do but decided after the initial orientation
0: i have a material witness out of the accomplishing battery uh, with a handgun and proceed now. Chief Justice <coughs> may it please the court. This case concerns itself with the conviction of a defendant. Of Thank you, gentlemen. The case is submitted. We'll hear arguments next in uh, Batson against Kentucky. Welcome to another episode of Bears, the Bar, and Beyond, the Baylor Pre-Law Podcast. This week, uh, we have a special guest. We have Professor Alfred McKenzie, who went to Baylor University for his undergraduate studies as well as for law school, and then went to the University of Glasgow, where he got his Master's of Laws. Professor McKenzie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here, Ben. Tell us a little bit about what drew you to Baylor initially, and then I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your thought
1: process as you started thinking about law school and a career in the law well i was in high school in houston and was attracted to baylor um, largely because of its uh, you know reputation as a christian university and came to baylor not really sure what i wanted to do but decided after the initial orientation that i didn't want to change my major half a dozen times or spend you know five years trying to graduate so I declared a double major in history and religion, uh, thinking that I would either go to seminary or law school. I did serve as a youth minister one summer, kind of exploring the idea of calling, but uh, ultimately by the time I uh, you know, finished, I was heading uh, toward law school, and after doing a master's of arts in history here at Baylor, started uh, the Baylor Law School uh, back in 1989.
0: Tell us about the, uh, the decision to, to pick law, because I feel like it's one of those professions that people naturally gravitate to, but not always having thought through, like what does it actually involve? What is it like to be a lawyer?
1: And I think that process for me was much like why I enjoy the law, in that as an undergraduate looking at my peers who were choosing very specific career fields from you know freshman, sophomore year in college, It occurred to me that i wasn't going to be able to identify one single field uh, that i would want to pursue as a lifelong career Mm. Uh, but what the law affords you is an opportunity to engage in a number of industries or uh, disciplines uh, through the different types of clients that you might represent and so uh, i particularly enjoyed research and writing But I don't necessarily want to research and write, you know, one topic, as I discovered when I was working on that master's in history uh, for a 30 year period and and be the expert who wrote two or three books on it. I really had a much broader interest than that. And so in my practice uh, as an appellate lawyer uh, and even before that, when I was also doing quite a bit of trial work, it might be that one week you're representing. Uh, a utility company, and the next week, um, a medical provider, and the issues and the knowledge base, the things that are involved in that type of business or industry are completely different, and that fascinates me. That's something that really inspires me to, you know, to turn from one case to the next, uh, week in and week out, and, and keep going.
0: Do you, do you get, almost get a thrill from appearing in court and arguing a case or an appeal?
1: I particularly enjoy being in court, uh, you know, the, there aren't many cases actually tried anymore, but I've had uh, the, the privilege to represent clients in court uh, quite a few occasions, both at the trial court level uh, and now more regularly on appeal. And I particularly enjoy that aspect of it. Now, there's a lot of down-in-the-trenches work that goes with trial law. I was about not to
0: say, so you don't see that in uh, television series no, or movies. You don't no. see that in the weeds.
1: And, and certainly there are lawyers who are very well cut out for that, particularly someone who tends to be more of an extrovert, and they want to, to go to battle and argue over every last document that's going to be disclosed or, or who's going to be deposed, and in what order will the witnesses <laughs> be deposed. Um, I, I tend to be a little bit more cerebral, a little bit more introverted, Uh, and enjoy the research and analysis that goes behind the scenes uh, to prepare a case for trial. And then once the trial is over, all that, you know, battlefield work is done. And we're just, you know, assessing (laughs) the damage and and trying to make right whatever wrongs were committed at the trial court. Uh, and, And so there's a A difference in practice between litigation and appellate work, uh, just like there are differences in practice between transactional law, doing deals, making contracts, mergers, acquisitions on the one hand, and litigation on the other. For those
0: who are interested in finding out more about appellate law, we will be doing a follow-up episode with uh, Professor McKenzie in the future, just talking about what that career path and that practice area uh, looks like. But in today's episode, I want to explore a little bit about the bar exam. So some of our listeners are currently in law school and you know, some of our listeners are thinking about law school either this coming year or in the years ahead. Could you tell us a little bit about what the bar exam itself is? actually is
1: right and and for most lawyers once they pass the bar exam uh, they never think about it again but uh, (laughs) just a few years ago i was appointed by the texas supreme court uh, to serve on the texas board of law examiners we are responsible we've been charged by the court with protecting the public to make sure that those who graduate from an american bar association accredited law school and who are seeking admission to practice law in texas have the minimal competency to practice law and who have the character and fitness to practice law. And so that's a dual mandate. Uh, Obviously, most people are familiar with the concept of a bar exam, and that is specifically designed to test minimal competency. And traditionally, historically in Texas, we are testing the applicant's competency to practice law in Texas. So a very heavy Texas law emphasis on the Texas bar exam currently. Uh, The character and fitness issue is something that even undergraduates need to be thinking about and be mindful of um, because that really begins with the application to law school. Law schools are going to ask questions about the applicant's character and fitness uh, because they don't want to allow someone to matriculate at their campus, pay three years of tuition, and graduate only to find out they're not going to be allowed to practice law. Uh, and so undergraduates who are beginning to think about applying to law school need to be aware of that whole area as well
0: yeah well i'd like to explore both of the both the bar exam and the character and fitness side of things is the bar exam a single day? Is it, a, is it one test that covers pretty much everything you cover in law school? Is it a bubble test, like the old l where you color in the, the sheet? Ha- tell us a little bit ha- about how it works.
1: Sure. Um, and there are a couple of ancillary components, like the National Professional Responsibility Exam, which is mm-hmm. a separate Scantron exam uh, based upon a professional responsibility course taken during law school. But the bar exam itself, in most jurisdictions, is two days, currently in Texas... It's two and a half days because we have that extra uh, Texas civil and criminal procedure uh, section of the bar exam. In addition to the federal sort of things, yeah. Uh, And and so the components would be the multi-state bar exam, which all uh, U.S. jurisdictions, with the exception of Louisiana, because they have a French civil law system, uh, all other jurisdictions use the multi-state bar exam, which is a multiple choice examination. Uh, designed to test uh, analytical reasoning and application of law to facts Uh, and so it's based upon kind of common principles of law throughout the United States. Uh, Then another component is the multi-state practice exam where the examinee is given a scenario for example, a partner comes to you and explains an ethical dilemma within the firm. Mm. What do we do? And you're given a packet of information. Uh, you have to evaluate the rules and the law and the scenario and write a memo. Uh, another administration, it might be a, a bench brief for the, the court or there are different scenarios that allow the uh, board to see kind of if you are practice ready. So that's a more practical examination. Uh, And then where Texas differs from the uniform bar exam currently, and I'll get back to the UB in a moment, is that Texas has uh, Texas essays. So a full day of the bar exam consists of 12, uh, basically 30 minute, but you have to allocate your time Mm. uh, on your own uh, essays on various areas of Texas law, like Texas wills or family law, oil and gas, and um, you know, things of, of that nature that that test the minimal competency practice in Texas.
0: And and of course, it's more than just memorizing. Too, you've got to be able to apply it to the the situations that they give you.
1: That's right. But you can't come in and just use your logical reasoning uh, and hope <laughs> to get by. Uh, and, and that's uh, and that's something that really is important to Texas practitioners. When lawyers hire recent graduates, they want to know they understand the basics of mm. Texas law. Uh, And and so recently, uh, October of 2019, the Texas Supreme Court uh, issued a preliminary order adopting the Texas uniform bar exam uh, or the Texas task force on bar exams recommendation uh, to uh, use the uniform bar exam in Texas uh, beginning in February 2021. I say preliminary because currently the court is reviewing the rules that would be required to implement that so there are a lot of details yet to come Uh, how long will your UBE score be good for you know what is the minimum score going to be all of those things are under consideration and probably be forthcoming by this summer.
0: Could you just explain what what the UBE actually is and and what might be some of the benefits of Of having it here in Texas.
1: Right. The uniform bar exam is actually fairly new and remarkably has been embraced very quickly by now 32 states plus the District of Columbia. Texas would be the 33rd state. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's basically designed to recognize we live in a much more mobile society, even in the professions. Mm. So previously, if you go to law school in Texas, take the Texas bar exam, and you practice in Texas, but within a year you decide. Uh, to move to Colorado, you've got to apply to the Colorado bar, take the Colorado bar exam. Uh, and, and basically start over. Uh, and if you go to law school somewhere else and you don't know which jurisdiction you want to take the bar exam in, you may be taking two or three bar exams over the course of 18 months.
0: Was there some courts that would recognize other states if you'd practiced for a certain period of time, like five or seven years? Right.
1: So in, in Texas, for example, uh, the recipro- uh, reciprocity rule is that if you practice, actively practice law for five of the last seven years, in another jurisdiction, then we will still do the character and fitness evaluation, but we will accept your bar admission and practice experience uh, in lieu of a new bar exam. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you can go to law school and then uh, do something else for five years mm. uh, and apply. You have to actually be practicing to keep your knowledge base current uh, and your familiarity with the law current. Uh, but uh, that's kind of on the the later end of kind of a mid-career move. But for students who are very mobile in those first two or three years, they would have to take uh, a new bar exam until the UBE. So the UBE was designed to make the exam more uniform. Uh, All but Louisiana used the multi-state bar exam one day of the current exam. And the UBE then would require us to switch from Texas essays to the uniform uh, essays, And it's just half a day six essay questions and then the other half day is that multi-state practice exam Uh, texas currently only has one of those units and we're going to be going to two with the ube so it it shortens the exam to two days but there will be a separate texas law online course and texas law course taken online Mm -hmm. sometime uh, up to a year before you take the Texas um, bar exam uh, or the UBE somewhere else, uh, and anytime after that, when you're applying for admission, so you would still have some expectation of learning Texas law, but it's going to be much more focused on the things that are unique to Texas. Yeah,
0: I mean, that sounds like it's going to encourage people who may have considered Texas schools, but have may may have wanted to get their training here and then go somewhere else. It seems like that would be beneficial them because they can just take that UBE and and, and use that to the, if, as long as they're going back to one of those other 32 states
1: right and I think it works both ways I yeah. think it would uh, give a lot more for example Baylor undergraduate students trying to determine where to go to law school uh, freedom of thinking well I know I want to practice in Texas, and so maybe it makes sense to go to law school in Texas. And there still certainly are advantages yeah, to that, definitely, uh, whether it be networking or actually taking a deeper dive to learn Texas law because mm-hmm. you're going to practice in Texas. But in terms of the initial credential, uh, I think students will feel much more freedom to go to law school in any one of those other 32 jurisdictions where the rest of their peers are uh, at least being prepared, although law schools don't want to teach to the test, they, they yeah. at least know that they're all preparing for the UBE and they can practice in that jurisdiction or any of the others who accept uh, the uniform bar exam. So it's transferable and most states will allow that transfer within a two-year pe- two period or a three-year period.
0: So when it comes to getting towards that end of your third year, are law students in a position to take the bar exam the day they graduate or do most... Folks have to go and spend some dedicated time just preparing for the bar exam.
1: It is a very uh, unusual type of test, and it's not like a law school exam. Mm. Uh, A traditional law school exam is all essay, and there are different, as I described, different types of assessment in the bar exam. Uh, And so most students, particularly uh, a high percentage of successful first-time takers, will also take a bar training course, a bar prep course. Mm. And so w- whether you go to a, uh, a Texas law school and take the current Texas bar exam or where you go to law school out of state, most of those students are taking Barbary or um, one of the other uh, you know, services that provide some type of bar prep course. And that tends to be about a you know, 10 to 12 week uh, long course. Uh, it could be more condensed and, and more compacted. It can be done online. Uh, but it really requires some intentional focus. And so people have often taken the entire summer, you know, you graduate in May uh, and then take the July, end of July bar exam. That's, uh, you know, pretty good, uh, you know, focused time where you're not doing anything else but preparing yeah. for the bar exam. What kind of problems can it present if you don't pass it the
0: first time? Does, do you think it has implications for your job search?
1: Well, even for students who have secured a job during their third year of law school, they're not practicing law when they go to work for a firm or perhaps a DA's office uh, or or some other agency. Uh, They are essentially a law clerk, uh, the the same type of work that they did the summer between second and third year law school. So they're assisting. Hopefully they're providing helpful uh, work product, but they can't actually practice law Mm. until they pass the bar exam and, and complete the other licensure requirements. Uh, And so, uh, you know, for some, that may mean that they, you know, need to take some time off voluntarily or involuntarily (laughs) to study for the next bar exam. Uh, And the other thing that goes with that, there are some agencies, some district attorney's offices, for example, simply won't hire you till you've passed the bar exam because they don't really have room for lots of law clerks. Yeah. So if you have to retake the bar exam, then obviously that means another potentially six-month delay uh, and even have an employment uh, and even if you are employed, it's a delay in you know fully moving into the practice of law, which may affect... And not yeah. earning a, uh, the salary of right. a lawyer. It may affect the compensation. Now, now that just depends on the firm yeah. and the expectation that they have that you will pass. It must be a very daunting test to go into, though, after
0: you've gone through those three years of law school, and then you've got these two or two and a half days, depending on where and when we're talking about, that has this big bearing on on what happens next
1: and and you can feel that in the room Uh, it is one of the most stressful environments uh, that a student could walk into you know um, everything's on the line and they know that it's gonna be six months before they have another shot at this and sometimes that puts people in the worst possible place from a confidence versus anxiety uh, standpoint yeah Uh, so you know when the board of law examiners talks to people about preparing for the exam. You know, it's kind of a whole health type of a concept. You know, you need to study, but you also need to take off several days before the exam to recuperate from the study. You need to exercise, eat well. You know, Sleep. don't try anything new like five hour that five hour <laughs> five energy drink the right off. before bar exam. That I've seen that not work so well. <laughs> uh, there, you know, so it's not it's not a time where you're trying something new. It has to be something rehearsed and prepared uh, and you know, you're ready to go when you walk in. Yeah. And it's I guess also one weird. of the most exhausting experiences I've ever had after really? the third day. Yeah. I guess that's where the preparation
0: plays a big role. Getting used to as close as you can to those test conditions and, the length of the of the test itself
1: right and and think about your conversations with students about preparing for the LSAT yeah uh, which I would encourage any undergrads to take uh, more seriously than their peers in recent years Uh, you you need to to really think of that as one of the most important things you do as an undergrad is prepare for the three hour is that right Uh, Mm -hmm. three hour LSAT exam so multiply that uh, by (laughs) (laughs) you know a a factor of a four or five depending on where you take the bar exam yeah uh, it's quite a bit of work so you you mentioned in
0: addition to uh, kind of overseeing this transition into the ube that character and fitness plays a, a big part in in your role can you just so explain to us i guess why it's so important that the profession maintains a basic standard of of ethics and professionalism
1: well i think to start with that's what sets a profession apart from other vocations is it's a um, self-regulating vocation where special training and you know skill is required and expected Mm. and because a license is required not everyone can practice law or medicine uh, or even traditionally, if you look at the clergy, you know not everyone is a minister or a priest. Yeah. Uh, they are set apart, ordained, uh, and with that setting apart or licensure comes an expectation that you will serve the needs of the public and you will protect the interest of the public. And, and so, because we're self-regulating, we take that very seriously. The it's kind of a separations of powers issue in the United States. Uh, the, the judiciary is separate from. Uh, the legislative and executive branches. And so as a member of the Board of Law Examiners, I'm appointed not by the governor, but by the Supreme Court, because it's the court who oversees uh, the activities of those who practice within the court of attorneys. Uh, And and so we we take that very seriously, the idea of protecting the public um, as a gatekeeper for who comes into the profession. And then separately, the state bar in Texas uh, has its own process for discipline and regulation of practicing attorneys and that's the only way it works for us to to protect the public from the beginning and then to self regulate going forward and so we're looking not just at your academic credentials but in a very serious way and in fact a a very in-depth way an entire history of every place that you've ever worked, wherever you went to school, any type of uh, school discipline while you were in college, any type of employment discipline, uh, criminal history, uh, substance abuse, all of those things are examined uh, very carefully. Uh, And certainly with regard to uh, mental health issues, to the extent it gives rise to a disability, then we uh, work very carefully with experts to accommodate disabilities. Uh, but the bottom line is on character and fitness issues that uh, we're going to pay attention to you know, what a person has done in the past that reflects poorly on the character of that individual and whether it might impact that person's ability to represent the public, you know, whether it's transactional or litigation, whether that's civil or, or criminal. And the scope for harm to, to
0: clients is, is so huge because you've got their secrets, you're holding money for them in some cases, their freedom might be at risk. You've got to have people who are have a certain standard, I think, of, of behavior and ethics for, for that role.
1: That's right. And you can teach skills, but sometimes... Uh you know, I hear people say, and this might get into more of a theological question, you can't teach good character. Um, yeah. I hope that, you know, that there's still room for redemption when when character has gotten off on the wrong foot. But uh, our job in protecting the public is not to hold someone's hand and walk them through that type of recovery, you know, from bad judgment calls in the past. Uh, and so when people come to us with a history of problems, they have to demonstrate that they have uh turned a corner and they're no longer engaging in whatever activity it is that might suggest uh that they shouldn't be practicing law in texas
0: and i guess there's a different approach depending on the conduct too right so if there's an element of deceit or, or fraud in prior conduct surely that's got some real, real red flags as opposed to maybe someone who you know was arrested as a minor in possession or something along those lines oh, well that's
1: right in fact that's what i tell students um the easy one is the rules tell us, unless we waive it for some extenuating circumstances, that a person with a felony conviction can't even apply to the Texas Bar for five years after they have completed their sentence or probation. So that's kind of the hardest example, um, that a person has to be you know, completely uh, past all of that history involving a felony felony conviction. But most undergraduates, particularly uh, at Baylor, don't have felony convictions. They're worried about, as you said, some type of juvenile issue or a disciplinary issue at the university level Mm -hmm. or a minor, minor in possession issue while they are a college student. And unfortunately, many students will read the law school exam and try to find loopholes in the way the questions are worded, and they rationalize... This is not really uh, responsive to the question, so I'm not going to disclose the DWI uh, because it says, well, don't include minor traffic violations. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know how it is, but some people have actually appeared before our board at a hearing. This is giving you an idea of where it goes. And explain, well, I just thought that was a minor traffic violation, so I didn't disclose it. Mm. Uh, That part's hard for me to even wrap my mind around. But uh, there are a lot of even more difficult calls where people rationalize and say, I just didn't disclose that. I didn't know that that was discipline. That was just a professor warning me not to cheat again. Uh, And the, the questions are very broadly worded. And the advice I have is, when in doubt, disclose. And if it's an issue that you're not sure how it's going to affect you, get some advice from Ben Cooper or from some other pre-law advisor on how to best present the story. And maybe whether there are other people who were involved, um, for example, at the university, who can write a letter, uh, a recommendation, or an explanation of what happened. Uh, There are ways, as an advocate, a future lawyer, that the the evidence can be put forward and the uh, the light that shows you have learned from it uh, and that you have made a commitment to avoid the things that you are actually responsible for uh, without trying to make excuses for it and without trying to place the blame on others uh, yeah. when reality is we understand that that often uh, the the allegation is not completely accurate and that there's some things you are responsible for and some things you weren't uh, and, and you have to present all that In the most candid way possible um, being thoughtful in how you do it uh, and then let the board uh, deal with it most things that are minor uh, particularly juvenile issues just need to be confirmed that that's indeed what the charges uh, are and we do a full background check with the FBI and local law enforcement Mm -hmm. employment history and so forth Uh, as long as those things are confirmed then they don't become uh, an issue of character what becomes an issue of character is when someone signs their law school application or their application to take the bar exam and they lie about uh, yeah. those things by not disclosing them. And and that's where we'll have a hearing to determine whether that was something deliberate or was an oversight. Uh, and if it you know, either way, you know, what are they doing about making sure that sort of thing doesn't happen again? And what what kind of things are you considering
0: in, in the hearing? Are you looking to to establish the veracity of, of their response or whether they were willfully dishonest.
1: That's right. And sometimes it's it's right there sitting across the table yeah. uh, in the conference room, much like this one, where we're just looking at the applicant and realizing that person has some mature, you know, growing up to do. They need yeah. to mature in their understanding of responsibility. Um, and, and so that person may be denied and have to come back a year later and apply again. Um, on certain issues, uh, and this tends to be more common with regard to substance abuse issues, uh, they're admitted on a probationary license with the uh, obligation to seek treatment mm. for for their uh, substance abuse issue during that one-year or two-year period. And they can only convert to a full license upon completion of a, a treatment.
0: Does it limit the kind of work that they can do?
1: No. A, a probationary license uh, is, is still... Uh, Fully going to authorize the person to practice law it just places restrictions on uh, you know their their ability to well it's going to put put requirements or conditions uh, upon them so they would either if it's a if it's drug issue they might have to take a random drug test from time to time Mm -hmm. if it's uh you know some type of other character issue perhaps they have an attorney mentor uh, which the state bar uh, coordinates where they meet with that person every couple of weeks or every month Uh, just to make sure that they're on the right track.
0: Before someone goes and spends three years in law school and and all the the costs that's associated with that, if they know that there are some issues that may present some challenges to to admission to the profession, is there a way that they can seek some kind of declaration beforehand?
1: Well, not before going to law school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly they should seek advice uh, from and and maybe even call some law school admissions officers, you know, to see what, what the law school's perspective might be. Mm. Uh, they're going to have to disclose this anyway when they apply, so it's not like they're, they're yeah. n- needing to keep that secret. So you know, they might want to seek some informal advice. Now, in Texas, once um, you start law school in a Texas law school, you can file an application uh, or a, de- a declaration of intent to practice law in Texas, and the character and fitness investigation will be done during your first year. Uh, but if you don't go to law school in Texas, you wait till your third year to apply to take the Texas bar exam and your character and fitness evaluation is done at that time.
0: Very interesting. Well, I think it's it's a good point for us to realize that the maturity has to start now. You know, think, you think, Am, is what I'm about to do a sensible thing, even though everyone else might be doing it? Because those kind of mistakes can have consequences, right, down down the road and if this is a career goal that is something you're really passionate about then it's important to limit scope for
1: mistakes you know? that, that's right and again i guess i'm just uh, i'm dating myself uh you know like i said i graduated from uh, law school a few years ago 1991 um, things were a little different than things that i've heard at hearings that can't get out of my mind uh, that I just didn't understand were part of the common conversation among current students uh, are excuses like, well, I was still identifying as a college student when I did that. Yeah. Um, I thought of going to college as my entry into full-blown adulthood when I was moving out of my parents' home and was responsible for myself. Uh, That doesn't seem to be fully embraced, and so I would encourage anyone who is looking at going into a profession (laughs) to to start uh, acting like and living like uh, an adult uh, from the moment they begin the the college experience and recognizing that decisions that are made and groups that you participate in activities with uh, are made with a view toward the future and that everything you do, particularly with social media now, uh, is going to be out there. uh, That was going to be my follow-up question is, have you had some
0: cases where social media has been the issue in in terms of character and fitness like people have posted particular things or you know pictures of them partaking in illegal activity or anything like that
1: it's certainly part of the investigation uh, if if there's something specific that doesn't seem to be adding up but that's not been kind of the front and center issue on cases that I've seen on the board log examiners now I have seen that in the practice of law Uh, it's Mm. very much the case that in an employment dispute for example that uh, both the employee who's complaining about some type of wrongful termination or discrimination uh, is going to be fully investigated by the attorneys on the other side in all of their social media yeah post and the manager of the business uh, who's accused of doing something you know the, the plaintiff's attorneys are going to Uh, investigate all that. And then beyond that, jurors, social media, is investigated by attorneys preparing for trial. They have a list of who the potential jurors are for that week, and they're all going to be investigated. There are lots of continuing education programs now on how it would be malpractice not to fully understand the social media uh, Mm. footprint of a prospective juror who's going to decide your client's case. Well, I guess
0: guess for you and I, social media was a new thing at some point we had it we didn't have it and then we did whereas most college students have never known a time where social media didn't exist and so there's this kind of comfort level i guess that comes with it
1: and you you get overly comfortable i think with, that's right. with what yeah. you put on online things that we would have thought of as purely private um the attitude tends to be at least in my observation. Oh, everyone knows it anyway, so why should I bother keeping certain things uh, private?
0: Well, employers will certainly do their due diligence before even hiring you. They'll they'll look at your social media and see.
1: Now, I've learned Baylor students in my pre-law courses tend to be pretty conscientious about things like that. Yeah, Um, But I've heard stories of admissions officers from other law schools talk about you know everything from the name of their email address, yes. still scandalous high school, you know, type stuff. Yeah. To don't, don't do that, yeah, please. <laughs> uh, to to things on social media. I mean, all that needs to be cleaned up uh, at the beginning of a college career, and then focused on networking and preparing to enter the professional world. Yeah,
0: and I think I think probably mindset's important. So this this is, this term of college kid has crept in, and I would encourage our pre-law students to not think of themselves as college kids. They're college students, right. you know, preparing for professional life. And that brings with it a certain standard and certain expectations. And we certainly want you guys to, to live up to that, you know. Well, Professor McKenzie, thank you very much. It looks like there's some very interesting changes coming in the next few years for people in law school here in Texas and those who will follow shortly after. Uh, have you got some uh, some recommendations on how students can perhaps stay uh, abreast of what's happening with with bar? Is that the uh, changes to the bar exam?
1: Probably uh, when you're applying to law school, I would recommend just putting in your favorite search engine "uniform bar exam" and looking at the jurisdictions. The National Board of Bar Examiners uh, has a website that has a map. Uh, look at the jurisdictions where the UBE is offered, um, at least consider whether the state where you're going to law school uh, has the UBE, because that may, you know, that may be a factor in deciding between that law school and another one. Yeah. Uh, so just search for a uniform bar exam and uh, pay attention to what states are going to be offering that as you apply to law school. Wonderful. And last thing,
0: what classes are you offering? Uh, next semester, so students who might be interested in taking
1: some of the the law related courses that you offer. Two courses, uh, one primarily for freshmen but I I generally have some uh, juniors and seniors even uh, in the course, a one-hour course called Careers in Law through the uh, professionalism and uh, philanthropy and public service, excuse me, Philanthropy and Public Service Department, PPS 1100. Uh, I teach a section called Careers in Law, Kent McKeever teaches a section on law and public service. Uh, And that's really an opportunity for someone who's not committed to going to law school to explore various practice areas or in Professor McKeever's course, um, different ways to provide legal services to those who are underrepresented and underserved in the community. Um, So that's a good starting place if you're not really sure what you want to do. The upper level course that I teach, uh, Political Science 3372, is designed for people who are already at the point they have decided to go to law school and they want to do an internship with a law firm or a law office in Waco. Uh, those offices, you know, don't want someone who's trying to figure out what they want to do next. They want someone who is a very ambitious uh, Determined that they're going to go to law school and they're trying to prove uh, themselves. Th- those opportunities are otherwise are really hard to get. From for an graduates. undergraduate, that's yeah. right. Because most law firms are going to hire law students in a community like Waco where we have a law school. Yeah, And so uh, for the one thing, they're probably going to be unpaid if, mm. if a firm is going to pay someone, they're going to pay a law student. Uh, and because they're unpaid, they tend to be nonprofit organizations and uh, government agencies. There are a few solo practitioners in town where you can experience some family law or criminal law. Yeah. Uh, but this upper-level course has a 100-hour internship in and the local law office. We help make the placements. Uh, students are certainly free to seek out other opportunities if they find them. And Every once in a while, a student finds a paid internship opportunity. Yeah. So, uh, all the better for, for them. Uh, the classroom component is what I call law school light. And so we go through basically in one semester's time the required curriculum of an ABA approved law school uh, one week at a time. So we do property law one week contracts the next week towards the following week. And so we move at a pretty quick pace, obviously not taking a very close look at uh, any one course, uh-huh. but I'm trying to expose students to the language, the vocabulary. Uh, and a weekly opportunity for me to call on students to stand up. So you do you use Socratic method
0: right, when you teach that right. course. yeah? Uh,
1: law school light. So I do that on Thursdays. And it's, it's um, something they can prepare for and anticipate. Whereas in law school, every day, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. potentially on the hot seat. So just to, again, those two courses were um, philanthropy and public service. What was the course code? So it's PPS 1100 and then the upper level course is psc 3372 and the title of that course is um, law justice in the community wonderful some great courses for our students
0: to be thinking about taking next semester professor mckenzie thank you so much for your time uh and we we appreciate you coming on as a guest uh to bears the bar and beyond
1: thanks appreciate you having me here today. thank you